Hi, welcome to another teaching message from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. Welcome to church, everybody. Lean over to somebody around you and say it's such a joy to be around you this morning. Welcome. If you are new or visiting in Sycamore this morning, such a joy to have you. Thank you for being with us. We'll get to welcome you properly before the end of the service. Um, but everybody who gets the privilege in life of calling Sycamore home, welcome home. Welcome. Welcome home. Um, it's a beautiful Sunday morning. God has been good. God is good. God will be good um, forever. It's such a joy um, that we can gather, share these moments, worship together, you know, just have like a fresh breath, start our week right, seek God, and learn from God. And um, it's beautiful that every time we gather, we get to receive a word from God, um, that God speaks to us a word in season. And I'm particularly excited this morning about who is bringing us God's word today. Um, I'm, I'm having all of you stand, and if you're online, big welcome um, to church. Um, now it's time to settle in, check the rice that is on fire, and then quickly settle down. And um, I just want you, wherever you are, everybody to stand, even if you're online. And let's honor this morning, um, not just God's word, but we want to especially honor the person bringing us God's word um, this morning. Just before I bring him up, I really just want to say um, how much of a blessing um, himself and together with his wife have been um, to my wife and I and to our church at large. Um, you know, there are prayers that usually at the start of the year, every year, my wife and I, you know, would be sitting down and looking at the directions and, you know, just catching a burden and trying to pray about certain things in our lives and all. And I do remember specifically that there were things we were praying. There were spaces in our lives that we were praying. Um, we've known now for going on five years and just right about that time, God just answering your prayers in ways that were beyond what you could have asked for. And I honestly want to say that Tosi and Pastor Femi, Oshinui are answers to our prayers. Um, I can boldly say that on behalf of my wife and I, such a blessing. We're grateful for your love, your friendship. They are two of the kindest people that I know in my life. Um, most generous, open-hearted, and such a godly blessing. And um, we've been so blessed having that over the years, every time we get to catch up. And of course, even our church. And um, just the love and support from your church, always standing with us, tough seasons that we've walked through and just being able to walk through those seasons together with your love and your presence in our lives. So we're grateful for that. And I'm grateful that you will take the sacrifice to spend the weekend. It's been such a blessing through the weekend. Um, you know, different platforms, just speaking into leadership and a lot of things blessing us. And this morning, he, Pastor Femi is going to be bringing us a word. Some of you might not have met him before. He's the lead pastor at City Church in the headquarters of Frustration, Lagos, Nigeria. Goes through a lot. Um, I know, I know, I know that makes you feel like, ah, oh, but sometimes he even compounds the issues on his life by supporting a club like us now. Um, you know, and all of that um, terrible stuff going on. Um, but we're just grateful that God is merciful to him and God is encouraging him. So as you see him preach and all of that, just feel for him, feel the empathy about what he goes through a lot, you know. Um, you know, you know, in Lagos, traffic is so bad sometimes. Even on your way to your toilet, you might face traffic. Like, it can't be that bad. But, but you're here. You've gotten to breathe. Welcome to Sycamore Church. Welcome to church. Can we give a good welcome this morning, Pastor?
Thank you. I can't lie, I'm very glad to be back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Um, first of all, you know, I do want to say this. Lord, you are awesome. We thank you for the, the privilege of being your children. And we thank you for the privilege of being connected to your children. Um, your word says that, that um, those who saw eye to eye, a book of remembrance was open for them. And Lord, I thank you for the gift of this house. Thank you for our own little connection to it and how this house has been such a blessing. And I pray, Lord God Almighty, that you will, through me, bless this house this morning. Let your glory be manifested in the name of Jesus Christ. Can we give a shout out to Jesus? Now, I don't know, I like receiving gifts. I don't know about you. I love receiving gifts. Um, and there are various gifts that people can give to you. Uh, they can give you money. I, I don't mind receiving that. I don't know about you. I'm not too holy to receive money. Right? Um, material things here and there. But let me tell you, of all the gifts that God can give you, one of the best gifts you can ask for, it doesn't seem obvious, but it is true. It is the gift of having a friend, a genuine friend, a friend through thick and thin, a friend through consistency, right? Many of us know we are the products of our friends. Uh, when we are down, we can just call that person. They're always dependent. And I will not lie to you, um, ministry is a bit of a lonely experience. And so I've had different iterations of so-called friends. And I can't lie to you, um, the, the special gift I believe that your pastors are to myself and my wife is something we really, really treasure. You have a unique group of leaders in this place. And I say that, you know, without any apologies, I, I, I'm not trying to flatter them. If you look at, if you go and look at my speaking schedule in Nigeria, there are not many places that I speak to, very, very few. But I honor this one. And I often say he's the only pastor, Nigerian pastor that has ever preached on our pulpit in our church. And that's all you say. And we have just booked him perpetually. I hope you have booked your calendar. He came. He came and preached a storm this last, last month. He preached a storm. It was so bad, some people wanted to move to Ibado. I said, Pastor Tully, it's time to go. It's time to go. Just go. Now, Bado, as much as I love Pastor Tolu, he jabs me too much. He's, he's not so kind. But my love for Pastor Tolu does not come close to my love for Pastor Debola. I said in the first service, you know, one, one of the best things about her is this. There is a way she hugs me eh? that even if you blindfold me, if I receive that hug from her, I will know it is her. She's so full of life, so full of love. And so they're wonderful. Um, and also, you know, so they support in all manner of things. Pastor Lula and I meet every single month without fail. You know, it's a wonderful thing. And please, I hope you can just help me appreciate my rock. My best friend, my lover, my, my wonderful wife that is here. 
Now to you guys, Sycamore, sorry I'm making you stand for a while, but listen, I don't know if you know the difference between a normal sermon and a prophetic sermon. You see, both of them, hopefully, are from the Word of God. But the difference between a normal sermon and a prophetic sermon is this, that a normal sermon is generic, but a prophetic sermon is specific. A normal sermon can accidentally, you know, help you, but a prophetic sermon will intentionally help you. God gives a prophetic sermon from his word, but it comes to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose to move them to their specific prophetic destiny. Sikama, I come by the anointing of God, and I have a prophetic sermon for you this morning. And honestly, I don't always have that, but this word has been burning in my bones for a number of months, and I told Pastor Tolu when I had, we had um, both of them when we had dinner last month, and I really do feel a sense that this word is for this house, because I believe that God is trying to move you people to another level. You know, between the ages of six and eight, um, neuroscientists and psychologists tell us that children undergo probably their biggest change. The reason is because the, function, the part of the brain, the brain over, it undergoes a huge, massive change. The part of the brain that controls our cognitive um, part, our thinking, the frontal and the, um, and the temporal lobes, they undergo an enormous growth. But at the same time, the part of our brain that controls our emotion, called the limbic system, many neurological pathway um, 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 uh, 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 connections are being made such that between the ages of six and eight, a child undergoes a fundamental change in their thinking and their feeling. A fundamental change. This is the eighth year of this church. I believe that God prophetically has something in store for you guys. That there's a place Sitkamo has come to now. Yes, we thank God for that. But now God has been preparing you for the next season. You see... Change happens because we are moving towards a goal. We are going somewhere. And in the, in, the, in the world of business, they talk about, now not all goals are the same. There are some goals you set for the week. There are some goals you set for even the year. But there's something called a BHAG. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. B-H-A-G. BHAG stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. Did I hear that this year is your year of audacity? Yes. Amen. And so let me tell you, for the experience I have in church planting, before I planted a church, I studied church planting for a while, both within this country and outside this country. Can I tell you this? The existence, the survival, and the growth of Sycamore from where it started is the achievement of a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's no joke. Eight years, a church that absolutely started with nothing but five, uh, pastoral five people and nothing else. For that church to first exist, then survive, and then grow. It is, the, it is the accomplishment of a big, hairy, audacious goal. And let's thank God for that. But whilst that one has been accomplished, hear me, I sense a shift in the spirit. That God has completed one BHAG, there's a new BHAG that is setting for this house. You see, and that BHAG is going to move you from a place of uh, a place of existence to a place of recognition. It's going to move you from a place of survival to a place of revivals. It's going to move you from a place of growth to a place of impact in the name of Jesus Christ. See, come on, that grace is going to rest upon this house today in the name of Jesus. 
Now, for us to be able to understand that, that's why I've come to, in some ways, steer you in the direction of God's prophetic destiny for you. And we're going to do that by studying a personality this morning, a personality we probably are familiar with in the scriptures. His name is Elijah. And I want us to do that by reading together just one text of scripture. 1 Kings 17 verse 1 is going to be put up on the screen now. I want us to read this together and read it with conviction. Are we ready? One to go. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I have titled this sermon, These are the Days of Elijah. Turn to your neighbor and say, these are the days of Elijah. Turn to your other neighbor and say, get ready. Because you see, in a time where there is darkness, in a time where there is evil that reigns, there is nothing more important than the presence of God's prophet. But what you are going to hear, Elijah is going to teach us this morning, is that how we as a church can be that God's prophet in an evil and decaying city and an evil and decaying nation. There is nothing more important than the light of God to come in that darkness that comes through the prophetic voice. How can we be that prophetic voice? How can we be effective mouthpieces of God? That's what we are going to see today. In fact, for me, the heart of this is actually the prayer at the end. But I pray that at the end of this sermon and at the end of the prayers, that God is going to use this sermon to raise Sikamo as a collective prophetic body that testifies to the light of Jesus Christ and brings about an impact and shift in this city that God has put you in. To which we all say what? Amen. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you tabernacle with us now. We ask that you fill this house with your glory. We ask that you speak through me. We pray that you would arrest our ears, arrest our hearts. We pray, Lord God Almighty, that you would do something. Create a shift in this house this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Do something new. Visit individuals. Visit, oh God, this house. Let somebody live and know that something definite has moved in their lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. So we're going to learn about the need for Elijah, the message of Elijah, and the God of Elijah. You may take your seat. The need of Eli for Elijah. Now, in my church, I'm known as a lead pastor. Yes, it's not a title I mind, but there are other titles I prefer. My favorite title is the CSTO. I am the chief storytelling officer in my church. I like to tell stories. But there's a new title that I've been warming up to in the last one year, and in fact, it may become my favorite title. I am the GQM. That is the Grand Quiz Master. And so, Sikamo, I come bearing good gifts from Lagos. I have brought you a quiz. I heard that you are a brilliant group of people, most of you from Ife and UI and all of that. Any unilike person in the house? God bless you there. God bless you there. I f there's an anointing in that area. Some of you catch it. So it's a very simple quiz. What's going to happen? Um, I don't know. Uh, you, know you know you have arrived when people can just identify you by your single name alone. And so this is a single name quiz. I'm going to say a single name. And you tell me the full name, and then we'll reveal on the screen whether you got it right. Are we okay? 
I have five names, popular names, and I'm sure you are going to be able to do this. Uh, people that are in the first service, please don't cheat. Eh? Don't help them here. They are brilliant people. Let's start with the first one. I'll call the first name. Cristiano. Oh, okay. All right. Good try, but first time lucky. All right. Barack. Wow. Oh, wow. You people are doing well. Okay, this one, I know particularly this one, Pastor Tolu, it's so easy to have Pastor Tolu can get it. Toke. He still doesn't know who that is. He's, he's behaving like, he's, he's listening to Pastor Debola, like, well. Boris. Ah, ah, you guys are smart. Okay, I left the easiest one for last. Peter. Eh? I'm talking about somebody that everybody everywhere knows. What Peter? Who? Peter. Stop being disobedient. What's wrong with you people? Peter. Peter Rabbit. Hey, Peter Rabbit. Now, some people are looking like, I meant to know who that is, but I don't really know. I don't know. And that's what normally happens in conversations many times, right? Some people just drop single names as though you are just meant to know. I was going to this place, and that's how Namdi even called me. I was saying, like, wait, 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 what is Namdi? Why are you dropping Namdi like uh, Namdi is her boyfriend because she got a boyfriend yesterday. All of a sudden, she's just dropping it like everybody is meant to know. And that's what the writer of this text actually does. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, who is he? We have not heard about Elijah up until this time in the Bible, not even this book of, 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 of one king, one kings. He just drops the name there. Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, said to Ahab, who is this guy? How are we meant to know him? Who are his parents? How dare he just speak to the king? What are his credentials? What school did he go to? What seminary did he go to? What are his qualifications? How can you just drop that name here? We don't know who he is. If you're asking any of those questions, though, you've missed the point. Because to understand who Elijah is and why he emerges, you need to understand King Ahab and his unprecedented evil reign. And to understand that really, this is 1 Kings 17 in 1 Kings chapter 16, 29 to 34, it tells us that, but I do need to give you a little bit of biblical history. Now, here's how it starts. After the time of Judges, the time of the Judges, the Israelites needed a king. And so eventually, they got the first king, and the name of the king was who? And he ruled over the 12 tribes of Israel. But Saul lasted 40 years, eventually went. There was a second king. His name was? And he ruled over the 12 tribes. Everything is still going fine. He dies. He appoints his son, who is? And he also rules over the 12 tribes. But because of his idolatry at some point and the mind of many women, and then the stupidity and foolishness of his younger son, Rehoboam, in Rehoboam's time, the kingdom was split into two. And so 10 tribes went to the north, kingdom called Israel. Two tribes went to the south, the kingdom called Judah. Are we still following? Now let's talk about the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom started with a king called Jeroboam. He started off well, but he didn't finish well. He started off well. There had been promises about if he was obedient to the Lord, this is what's going to happen to him. It didn't happen. How? One of the things he did that actually caused a snare in Israel and was repeated over and over again is that he brought in bull worship. This is the Israelites who, when they came out of Egypt, they started worshiping a golden calf. He now brought in a bull. It was so bad that this thing, if you read the book of 1 Kings, any king that came after, they always said, Whatever bad and evil they did, it was just like Jeroboam did, the evil of Jeroboam, the king. And so the first king, the second king, the third king, fourth king, he was worse off than all of them. Until a guy, four kings after, emerged who is called Omri. 
And Omri says in 1 Kings, verse, uh, uh, 1 Kings 16, verse 25, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all the kings before him. He was worse than Jeroboam. Amen? But you know many of us, I know some of us have become uh, parents lately. Do see we see you? All right? And one of the things that we, they say, we pray and they prophesy to us, your child will be greater than you. You quickly, when they say your child will be greater than you, my child will be greater than me, oh, please, oh, please put a qualifier. Because they can be greater than you in everything that you are. No, you say, please, the good parts. Because you see, this was literally fulfilled in Omri's life. He gave birth to a son who exceeded him in all things. He exceeded him in evil. His name was Ahab. Ahab was an evil person. Evil king. The likes we've now seen before. How do we know that? You see, Jeroboam just brought in bull worship. Ahab instituted it. Why? The first thing he did that was wrong, he married a foreign wife. This was forbidden for the citizens of Israel, but even more importantly for who? The kings. Because that was the problem with Solomon. He married all these foreign wives and they took, drew his heart away from the Lord. This one, fine, he didn't marry 700 foreign wives. He married one wife and she was big enough for the 700. She was terrible. Her name was Jezebel. She was the daughter of the king of the Zidonians. And she came with not just her beauty and her makeup and all of that. She came with her foreign gods. I know some of us here are thinking about it. It's not such a good place. I just can't wait until I jackpot. Now, for you to jackpot, right? Like if you want to apply somewhere like Canada, they are not just allowing anybody in. They have a system. Some of them have point-based systems. So if you say that I am a, I don't know, if you are a cleaner, mm, you are not going to get enough points. But if you are an IT person and you're under the age of a particular thing, you get a lot of points. If you were in Ahab and Jezebel's time, right? Let's say it was 300 points to be able to come in. You need to have one particular role. They give you 300 points immediately. If you were a priest of Baal or a priest of Asherah. They were shipping them in like, in fact, by the time we get to 1 Kings 18, we are told that there were nothing less than 900 priests that come in. The point-based system was working for them. 900 priests of Asherah and 900 priests, uh, 450 priests of Asherah, 450 priests of Baal. So they came in and they were ministering. How do you think they were ministering? Do you know that in Jerusalem, Solomon built a temple to the name of Yahweh in Jerusalem? The capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. Instead of him to also build a temple that is similar to Yahweh, you know what he built? He built a temple to Baal. And that is where the priests were. It was, evil was instituted in that land. And so all the sexual immorality, all the corruption that came with it, it was a stinky time in the days of Ahab. But just to even show you how much of a rebellious king this man was. Just before the time of Judges, as Israel has come out of the land of Egypt and they now want to move to the promised land, Moses, who delivered them out, has died. And now it fell on a new leader. You know his name? Joshua was going to take them into the promised land. But before they could get in the promised land, there was the, they had to fight different battles. The most difficult of those battles was against a, a, a city called Jericho. It was a fortified city. It had thick walls, and they couldn't go in. They couldn't go out. It was impenetrable. But they listened to the word of the Lord. They went round Jericho six times, and on the seventh time, on the seventh day, they made a shout. And what happened? The walls of Jericho fell down. They conquered the city. But then, in Joshua 6:26, Joshua said something. He put a curse. He said, "Anybody 
that will try to rebuild these walls of Jericho. You know what will happen? They will lay the foundation at the cost of their firstborn, and they will set up the gates at the cost of their lastborn. So centuries and centuries after, some people, nobody went near that cost because the Israelites were like Africans. You know, Oyibo people, when they say, ah, they say that there are some lions in that place. Read lions? Let's go and check. <laughs> we win Nigerians. There may be a chance that there may be a lion. That, like, where? There. We are, for me and my father's house, we are going there. Everybody went away from that curse. Nobody wanted to touch that Jericho land. Nobody wanted to build it. But these were the days of Ahab when evil reigned and there was rebellion against the Lord. So Ahab wanting to try and set up some kind of, you know, building project for maybe military purposes and all that. In 1 Kings 16 verse 34, he called a guy called Hiel of, uh, of Bethel and he then instructed him to go and rebuild Jericho the gates and the walls there. And you guess what happened to Hiel, right? As he tried to build it, he laid the foundation at the cost of his firstborn called Abiram, and he set up the gate at the cost of his second born, his lastborn called what? Segub, according to the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua. But how can you do that despite the fact that that word of the Lord has been spoken? Don't be surprised. It was the days of Ahab where evil reigned in Israel. When we think about our own society, when we think about our own nation, when we think about our own city, there is a tale here. Many times you have been told about the evil that has been done in your city before. At this time, this was this, this was that, this was that. But what many people don't know is that many times that was a time of Omri. Darkness can even be greater in the time of Ahab. There's so much idolatry all around us. In the city that I'm in, the idolatry is about progress. It's about people trying to make it, and eventually when they make it, they just want to secure themselves in some places. You hate the poor. You hate the people who are vulnerable. Our driver last year was telling us about an estate where a lot of people had a lot of land, and some people who don't have money, they build up sheds there just to try to make a living for themselves. And then maybe they do some kind of workshop or something somewhere there. So there was this welder who at some point set the thing up. His family wasn't living with him. They were somewhere in the village. He used to send money, just doing his best. And one time, the estate wanted to do a clean-up exercise, what they called it. Well, in that clean-up exercise, they totally leveled the guy's welding shop. Totally. Everything that he had worked for, gone. This man was crying, weeping like a baby. He could not be consoled. He was just thinking, what is he going to do? His children, everything, for just for, because of people thought that it was a nuisance in that place. Eventually, when no one could console him, you know what happened? He went back home. At least, let me just go and lie down and think about how I'm going to do this thing in my future. And when he went back to the shed that he had built for himself, he found out that that shed had been totally leveled as well. It was too much for him. He took his life. Now, some of you may be thinking Lagos, but what about Ibadan? One thing I do know is that you people in Ibadan, you like to, you like, you know, status in some ways. You like to be looking like, men, I have arrived. And many times, when we love status, we also love the symbols of status, status symbols. Not more important than, how many of you brought your iPhones, your, your phones here, sorry, your smartphones, yeah, exactly. You know how it is now, you're trying to progress. You say, ah, God, I'm starting with a techno, but I'm going toward iPhone. There was a guy that was in our church, he was, a, he was in UI last year, and his friend also, also in UI, his best friend actually, and our final semester um, of their final year, so his best friend was now going towards the UI gate, and that's how some people then came and now said, 
give us your phone. And he's like, no, I can't give you the phone. Give us your phone. No, I can't give you my phone. And so there was a tussle, and eventually they stabbed him. My wife was hearing about some of the ladies uh, that she went out with yesterday were saying, one of them that was a doctor said that, that there are many, the number of stab wounds of people that come in the hospital is growing more and more and they have to treat them. Well, sadly, this guy could not be treated. He died. Final semester, final year. This is what happens when idolatry is instituted. There are the idols of our hearts that Ezekiel says. When idolatry is, prof is proliferated in our city, it leads to untold evils. You know why? Because whenever we have idolatry, it shows that we are moving away from God. God means little to us. And if God means little to us, then his image bearers mean nothing to us. And whenever God means nothing to us, Eventually, what happens is that we look at objects like phones. We personify them, and we look at human beings, and we objectify them. Evil in the land, just like in the days of Ahab. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe said to Ahab, whenever we see this kind of evil ongoing, we ask the question, has God forsaken us? But if only there are people that can cry out to the Lord for the wickedness that is going on in the land, you will see that God always has a plan to deal with the wickedness. Let me take you one more time to the book of Judges. You see, in the book of Judges, many times Israel will rebel, rebel, rebel. And when they rebel, their rebellion eventually leads them to oppression by a neighboring uh, 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 nation. And in Judges chapter 6, at this point, they are under the oppression of a, city, of a nation called Midian. It was so bad. In Judges 6 verse 1, we are told that it was for seven years. And it was so bad that in Judges chapter seven, 6 and 7, this is what we are told. Seven, Judges 6 verse 7 says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian. I want you to read verse 8 together. That the Lord sent what? Prophet to the children of Israel. Stop. What is God's plan whenever evil is reigning? Whenever there is darkness in the land, what is God's plan? He sends a prophet. What is God's plan whenever evil is proliferating in our streets and in our corners and in our universities? What does he do? He sends a prophet. What is God's plan when people are doing things in secret that we cannot even say in public? What does he do? He sends a prophet. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, said to Ahab, when you're asking this question, why Elijah? Here's the point. In the time of Ahab, there was great wickedness and great darkness. And listen to this, and you must never forget this. The darker the night, the greater the need of a prophet. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe said to Ahab, do you know that you don't need to introduce a famished child, a very hungry child? You don't need to introduce them to food. You know why? They've already met hunger. Do you know that if somebody has a fatal illness, you don't have to give a lengthy introduction about a consultant that can cure them. You know why? They've already met with the disease. You don't need a lengthy introduction about who Elijah is. Why? Because you've already met Ahab. The darker the night, the greater the need of a prophet. Elijah needs no introduction. Why? Because there is already Ahab. If you have endured the days of Ahab, then you are right for the days of Elijah. That's why their stories are so intertwined. Wherever you see Elijah, you see Ahab. There are some funny comical stories. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17 to 18, Ahab is riding somewhere. Elijah just shows up. He now says, ah, my enemy. 
Uh, sorry, you, the troubler of Israel. That's what Ahab said to Elijah. Elijah said, no, it's not me. It's you and your father's house. What is deliver? Buy it. <laughs> you are the ones that are troublers of Israel. He won't give to another 21. He said, hey, my enemy, you have found me. And I said, yes, I am your enemy because you have sold yourself to do evil. The evil king and then the prophet of light. The darker the night, the greater the need of a prophet. Is there evil in Ibadan? Yes, there is evil. Therefore, Sikamon must emerge. For the great, darker the night, the greater the need of a prophet. Don't say to yourself, look, I am not of noble birth. I am not wise. I am not mighty. God has chosen the things in this world that are not wise, the things that are not mighty, the things that are not noble birth, so that you can confound the wisdom of the wise. If people have endured the days of Ahab, they are ready for the days of Elijah. So am I speaking to an Elijah church here? If the days of Elijah are coming and you are emerging, what are you going to say? That takes me to the message of Elijah. I don't know, I don't know if you've ever been tongue-tied when you are you were not meant to be tongue-tied. Maybe you were meant to give a presentation for a contract or something, and just at that moment, blank. Turn to somebody and say, the devil is a liar. I want to introduce you to somebody. Can you put the, screen, uh, the picture on the screen? This man has been greatly influential in my life. His name is D.A. Carson. He's the theologian that affected me more than anybody. I listened to, at the time in my life, I listened, I only did anything. I just listened to all his messages, all the messages he had from 2018, from, from the 1980s to like 2012 at that time. I read a lot of his books, everything. So this man was like a patron saint for me. So one day, I think it's 2013 or 14, my wife and I attended the conference. He was the main speaker. So I was going to see him live speaking for the first time. I listened, spellbound, everything. Actually, I wasn't spellbound because I knew everything he was going to say because I listened to all his messages. But it was just the sense of seeing him live. And then during a break, because it was a campsite, we stayed for a number of days. During a break, my wife and myself and my brother-in-law were walking on this side of the road, and the man was coming. Immediately, I saw the man, eh, what? I told my wife, we're crossing. So we crossed over to the other side. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. So we just got to the man. So I said, Dr. I just said, my pastor knows you wrote so, the, your books. I love you. It was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. My wife has never made me forget it. I said a lot of jargon. The whole thing was not clear. My message was not clear. And the poor man was confused. He tried to help me. May you not be confused when the time comes for you to be clear. Amen? Because when Elijah met with Ahab, he was not unclear with what he said. What did he say? No rain, no dew for the next couple of years except at my word. What power? What authority? What clarity? Where did that come from? Many of us will say because Elijah was actually a bold man. No. I'll tell you where it came from, because there are a number of things about that message I want to unpack in this second point. But the first thing I want you to notice is this. Elijah delivered the prophetic word because he understood and had read the written word. You say, oh, how was he able to shut the heavens and the rains? It wasn't because Elijah was just this person that can. He had read Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16 to 17. Put it up. Let's read it together. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve what? That was idolatry. That was happening in the time of Ahab, wasn't it? And would do what? Now, verse 17. 
Let the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up there, finish it. And he does what? Stop. Elijah had read the word. You see, many people want to be prophets nowadays. Many people want to have dreams. Many people have visions, and they're always laboring and telling you about this. I know God has told me this. My friend, if you cannot confirm it from the word, then we are not sure about that prophecy. You see, I, I know that in, uh, especially for you guys that are in UI, many young boys come today, they open fellowships. I don't know, some of them leave fellowships that were there, they drop revelations. I'm not talking about one pastor to you. I'm just saying. <laughs> many people come up with dreams, visions, and whatever. Can I speak to anybody who has a prophetic, you know, gifting here and all that? If you want your gift to actually perform well, can you learn some theology? That's exactly what Elijah did. The prophetic word was accurate. The prophetic word was exact. Why? Because it was based on the written word. It's really important. I'm saying this is almost an aside. Because it is, listen, the, the, the uh, prophetic accuracy isn't the only sign of prophetic legitimacy. The fact that somebody can give you a prophecy and it comes to pass doesn't mean that that person's whole ministry is actually legitimate. Have you read Deuteronomy chapter 13? It says that, if, verse 1 to 3 says that, if a prophet comes to meet you and he delivers a word and it comes to pass, but that same prophet tells you, let us follow after idols, do not follow him. In fact, they say you should stone the prophet. Somebody can give you prophetic accuracy, but actually their theology can be in error. Do not follow them. Amen. So you may have the gift, but if you want that gift to work well, can I tell you, learn some what? Theology. Amen. Amen. But then somebody's going to say something like this, but I don't really have the prophetic gift. So how does this thing apply to me? I thought you said you had the prophetic sermon for me. Hold on, we are getting there. How can I be Elijah, you are asking? Well, this is another thing you must understand. Very, very, it's very important. Don't miss this. There is no modern day Elijah prophet. Elijah is not an individual in this time and age. Elijah is the corporate church. Should I say that again? There is no modern day Elijah prophet. Elijah is the corporate church, not an individual. We may express it individually in one way, but the calling of Elijah in this time and in this age is a corporate calling. And I'm going to break that down to you. So we're going to go deeper. Turn to your neighbor and say we're going deeper. We want to do some prophetic theology. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's start now. I'm going to read a lot of scriptures. Malachi chapter 4, verses... Malachi 4, 5 to 6. In Malachi 4, 5 to 6, Malachi is the last prophetic book of the Old Testament and the last book of the Old Testament. And at this point, God is saying that they're all anticipating who is going to deliver Israel from this oppression. Has God forgotten us? We've gone into exile. We've returned. Everything just looks bad. We don't have the Davidic king there. The broken tabernacle of David is there. That's the broken lineage of, of the Davidic kingship. What happened to the promises of God? And so Malachi says this in Malachi 4 verse 5. I will send what? Elijah. This is centuries after Elijah has been taken to heaven. I will send Elijah the prophet before when? The coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What is going to happen then? Let me tell you before I go into the details of what happens at the great day of the Lord. The Lord comes. Now, God is a God that has always been coming. He used to come to Israel. He came through angels, the angel of the Lord. He came through the glory uh, cloud. He came through fire. He came through miracles. He came through the words of prophets. But the great day of the Lord, it wasn't just God coming through means. It was God himself coming. But before he comes, something must happen. Now, let me just quickly give you expo. The coming of the Lord was the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God incarnate, a human being. It's not about a sign. It is, where is God? There he is. 
And there was somebody that announced the coming of the Lord. In fact, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Why is John the Baptist the greatest of all prophets? It's not because he ever did any miracle. He did not do one single miracle. But that all the prophets were prophesying in signs and in symbols about one Messiah that is coming. John the Baptist said, Where is he? That's Jesus. That's God. That's why he's the greatest. So that is why in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, John the Baptist is the only prophet that was prophesied about. He says, there is a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Do what? Prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming on the great and the terrible day. Amen. Amen. So John the Baptist preceded Christ. Why? Because before the Lord comes, Elijah must come. Are we following? I hope I'm not confusing you. Elijah must come before God comes. Now, this God has come in the person of Jesus Christ, but he has, re- he has returned back to heaven. But we know he's coming again. If the Lord is coming again, what is going to happen? Who is going to come again? Elijah must come. But I'm saying this, Elijah is not, and in fact, if you don't believe me about John Baptist, Matthew 11 verse 14, Jesus explicitly says that this is the Elijah that was to come. But now in the second coming, Elijah must come again. And if you don't believe me, then let me show you another passage. But now, we may be going a little bit deeper because we are going into your favorite book of the Bible, the one you read every week without fail. It is called the book of Revelation. Let's go to the book of Revelation chapter 11. I, be, I heard you're a brilliant church. Revelation 11 verse 3 to 6. I want you to see something here. It looks scripted, but don't be scared of the book of Revelation. As long as you have certain tools, you know that this book can be open to you. The first tool and the first key. The first tool and the first key. If somebody preaches to you on the book of Revelation for 15 minutes and they don't land with Jesus Christ, run away from them. It is not the book of Revelations. It is the book of Revelation. Why? It's revealing one person, Jesus Christ. Simple. You'll see it all through. So it must land eventually. It's not about 5G. It's not about chips. It's not about all of those nonsense. It eventually gets you to Jesus. Number one. Number two is that it is written in a particular language of signs and symbols. And these signs and symbols, first and foremost, you must always see what is the meaning of this sign. It may first be told to you in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation can also many times give you the interpretation of the sign. But second, don't look on the TV. Don't go on the internet. Don't follow your parents' WhatsApp groups. If you want to understand it, go to the Old Testament as well. So after the book of Revelation, you go to the Old Testament. Are we following? So now let's look at Revelation 11, 3 to 6. I want to read that together. Now, let's go. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. How many days? Clothed in sackcloth. Four. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Five. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Six, these have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have the power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire. Now, I want to show you a number of things. First of all, you can see an Elijah link to this prophet, right? Three things that we can see. Number one is this. They prophesy. Well, let me even say four things. One, they prophesy. Elijah was the prophet. Are we agreed on that one? Okay, not too deep. All right, second, did you notice that they had the ability to do what? Shut the heavens and the earth. That's the text we read, isn't it? Third is this. We didn't read this, but in 2 Kings chapter 1, some people went and visited Elijah to carry him to the king. He sent fire downward 
to kill them. Second time they came again, set fire down to kill them. The third time the guy came, he laid down and said, oh God, it's not me, my boss sent me. Let the fire go on my boss, not me. So here, what did he say? That they have fire to be able to use the fire to kill people that want to kill them. Isn't is that clear? That's number three. Number four is this. 1,260 days. Each month is counted as 30 months in the book of Revelation and generally in the Jewish calendar. Each month is counted as 30 days, sorry. 30 days, right? 1,260 divided by 30 is what? I'll help you, 42. 42 months, all right? 42 months is how many years? I'll help you, three years is 36 months. 42 minus 36 is what? Six. Six months is what? How many years? So it is three and a half years. When we read in 1 Kings 17, how long did Elijah say that it's not going to rain? It does not say. But now open to James chapter 5 verse 17 for me. James 5, 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for how long? Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. So we see a connection of Elijah there. That's the first thing. But I said it's not an individual. Notice that we said that it is the church. How do I know that? Again, the book of Revelation helps interpret itself. Many times people, when we want to read the book of Revelation, we go to Revelation 2 and 3. That's the seven letters to the seven churches, then we end and then we leave. Do you understand? We just run, uh, we don't know. Okay, then we do Revelation 4 and 5, holy, holy, worship the Lamb, and then we, we jack back from the book of Revelation. But actually, before we see the seven letters to seven churches, we are given a symbolic picture in Revelation chapter 1, and Revelation chapter 1 is key to the whole book of Revelation. That's where you see that it's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 1.20, it tells you something. Because, sorry, go back to Revelation 11. Revelation 11, go back. Uh, Revelation 11 verse 2, or uh, 3. 3 or 4, is it? 4, 4, 4, 4, sorry. About this, he says, these are the two, the two witnesses are the two olive trees and the two what? So remember I said these things are symbolic. So now go back to Revelation 1 verse 20. What are these lampstands? The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. What are the seven stars? The seven stars are the angels of the seven. The seven stars are the angels of the what? And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven what? If seven lampstands are seven churches, then lampstand is equal to what? Are you following me? The two witnesses are two lampstands. It is not a, an individual. It is what? The church. There is an Elijah church that has been prophesied about the end that will bring Jesus Christ back. Amen. Amen. Now then somebody will say, but this whole thing about their message. Because Elijah, you know, Elijah, when Elijah preached, his message was about judgment too. Wasn't it? No rain, no dew. These guys too. It's not just no rain, no dew. There's also fire. Let's talk about the nature of their message. The fire that is coming down. Like, hey, God, this Christianity, you see, we like fire. Fire for fire, all of those things. I don't know. But ah, some people are like, hey, hey, see, I like that kind of fire. I wish I can throw down fire, you know, from heaven. Do you know that Jesus' disciples wanted to do that? I want to show you something. Look chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. Jesus' disciples in Luke chapter 9, at some point, they saw some things they didn't like. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, they said this. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, this is why they were called the sons of thunder. They said, Lord, do you want us to command what? Fire, to come down from heaven and consume them. Fire burn, fire burn all my enemies. Fire burn them. Just as Jesus said, hey, go ahead. I've given you power to do that. No. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are made of. 
So when we look at this fire that these people are breathing, it is not necessarily fire like go ahead and do literal fire. You have to understand that the message of judgment that normally comes when the, the prophets, when they preach the message of judgment, many people just read prophets and just say, ah, oh, man, these people are always angry. You actually miss a point, and you must never miss this point. The judgment comes as a result of the rejection of the message of salvation. Go back to that Malachi 4. Let me show you something. Malachi 4, when he says that he's going to send Elijah again, it wasn't verse 4 to judge, but look at Malachi 4 verse 5 again. Sorry, I'm really putting these people to work. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the great prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That was the intention. Or else I will come and strike the earth with a curse. It was the rejection of the message of salvation that brought the message of judgment. So when you now go, after Jesus rebuked them in Luke chapter 9, for wanting to call down fire, Jesus brought a balance to what he was trying to do. In Luke chapter 10, the next chapter, in verse 1, you know what Jesus did? He called the 70 or 72 disciples, and he sent them out in twos to go and witness about the kingdom. And when they now go to verse 8, all right, see, after this, the Lord appointed 72 also others and sent them two by two, before his face in every city, a place where he himself was about to go. Then go to verse 8. I want to read verse 8 to 12. Now notice what he tells them. This is key. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And do what? And say to them, do you see salvation? That is why he sends his people to go and prophesy about Go out into the streets, uh, but whatever city you enter, and they do not do what? Now you go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day, the day of the Lord, for Sodom than for that city. It was the rejection of the message that came from Jesus Christ that brought about the judgment. And we say, I, just, well, I don't like Christianity. to you, but we just talk about judgment. My, my friend, we just said, talk about love. This is the message of love. You don't know. Imagine I enter this city now, and out of love, I just said, randomly, I don't even know, I've never heard of it, but somebody said something about it. I said, let me just visit this Amala sky. What's even there? Who likes going there? You know, it's not, it's not like they serve the best Amala in the world. Literally, you know, nice, but more goofy. Oh, God. <laughs> Let, let's come back to the Bible. Let's come back to the Bible. But I now meet somebody. I don't know my way around. So I now say, how do I get to Amalaskai? The guy say, ah, where you are now, guy? There's only one way to Amalaskai. You just take this right, take this left. I look at him. I say, what kind of nonsense is that? Just one way? Just one way? What kind of intolerable person are you? My friend be gone. I'm sure there are other ways. And so I now start driving. I start driving. And after one hour, I realize that Having rejected that man's message of light and love, I have now find my, I found myself under the judgment of being lost and being dark. Are you following? Yes, sir. It is not that the message of judgment comes in a vacuum. It is when you reject the message of light that has come. I'm telling you guys that the people in this dark world, they need the message of light. But the message of light is tied to the message of darkness. Have you not ever read where it says that, Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For what? Darkness will cover the earth. And thick darkness, the people. But the Lord 
will arise over you and his glory shall be seen to you. Wherever there is darkness, light can come. But when you reject the light, you receive the judgment. Now here is where I want to go with this. Somebody will then say, oh, so it is when we just give prophetic words and people reject it. No, no, not just any kind of word. You see, what is the ultimate fulfillment of prophecy and the prophetic words from the Old Testament to the New. Do you know what it is? All the prophets and all that, the prophets were pointing to an ultimate prophet. Elijah was pointing to a particular prophet. Moses was pointing to a particular prophet. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they were all pointing to prophets. God in this last, uh, God, God in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 1 says that God who spoke to our fathers, the prophets, uh, through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us what? Through his son. He was the final prophet. And he was the prophet. And the, the message of the prophet was about this prophet. If you don't believe me, book of Revelation is a, is a book of prophecy. But it tells you what the book of prophecy is all about. Revelation 19 verse 10. I'll just say it to you. It says, the spirit. Okay, have we put it there? All right, so it got there before me. Uh, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Worship God. For, let's say it together, for the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. I don't care what prophecy somebody has come to meet you. If it doesn't find itself fully in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I tell you that is a, an inferior prophecy. There is a greater prophecy that the church was meant to say and it was called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time we try, listen, listen, the darkness that we have around there. Did you notice what he said? He said, darkness shall cover the land and thick darkness the people. The darkness that is outside us is, not, is less than the darkness that is inside us. The darkness that is outside us is as a result of the darkness that is inside us. And so we've experienced so many kinds of darkness. Darkness of masturbation, darkness of corruption, darkness of mental illnesses, darkness of all kinds. But what idolatry does is that we now look for different lights to help us overcome the darkness. So for those who are maybe struggling with porn, you just feel, if I just have a girlfriend, I can just have enough sex and I will stop. And maybe you did get that girlfriend. And maybe you stopped for three weeks. And eventually it didn't help. I can deal with the anger if only everybody listened to me. They stopped listening to you. They continued to listen to you for a while. And eventually you still found that the anger came back. Do you know why? Because the darkness that is inside us, no matter what light we bring, eventually that darkness will overcome that light. Every darkness that idolatry brings, if you try to use idolatry's light to be able to quench it, it will never quench. The darkness will overcome it. But Sycamore have come to tell you that there is a light that the darkness shall not overcome. It is the light of Jesus Christ. For he says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then verse 4 says this, in him was the life, and the light was the light of all mankind. And the, let's read verse 5 together. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness, it cannot overcome it because it cannot comprehend it. There is a light that any, all the darknesses in our world cannot figure out. It is the light of Jesus Christ. That is the message you have been given to go and proclaim out. 
In 2 Corinthians 4, it says that, look, if the world is perishing, it's because the, the world, the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they cannot see the glory of God. But Paul says, what is that glory of God? He said, we do not preach any other thing, but we preach Christ, what? As Lord. For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness in creation that has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. If that light brings about creation, then the light shining in our heart brings about a new creation. For everyone that is in Christ, what? Is a new creation. That is the message that you have been given to prophesy. And he's moving you to another level. He's saying this. I have set up this church. I have put graces in this church. Eight years now. Now I want to take you to another level. That you are not just going to be existing. You are going to be recognized. You are not just going to be surviving. You are going to be revived. You are not just going to be growing. You are going to have an impact. Why? Because you prophesy about the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me say to somebody that is here. You've just heard about Jesus. You've just been playing around with Jesus. Even John the Baptist, John 5.35 tells us he was a kind of light. But it wasn't the light that we needed eternally. You can't prophesy about this light if you have not yet received this light. Stop running away. Stop going to other lights. Come to Jesus. So that once you receive this light, you can take this light to others. Amen? My time is virtually up, but let me quickly go to my third point. Because there's one crucial place here. That we mustn't forget. Because some people, the God of Elijah, some people are going to say something. Elijah was powerful, I'm not. And if I had Elijah's power, people would listen to me more. And you know, because you are telling me to go and talk about judgment, I don't want to lose my friends and lose respect. But if only I had Elijah's power, then it would be different. I don't know if I agree with you somewhat but slightly disagree. And here's where I agree with you. It's true. Not all of us can call down fire from heaven. Not all of us can shut down the heavens. In fact, by God's grace, none of you will shut down the heavens because we need, we need food. All right? And not all of us can outrun a chariot. Eat that using boat. But, you know, the, not all of us can also preach like Pastor Tolu. But the mere fact that you can't preach like Pastor Tolu doesn't mean that Pastor Tolu is more human than you. The main fact that you can't do what Elijah did doesn't mean that Elijah is more human than you. What does James 5.17 tell us about Elijah? Elijah was a man of like passions. In fact, he tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. You know why? Because he said Elijah was a man of like passions. He prayed and for three and a half years he did not. He's not saying you are going to pray for three and a half years. It will not rain. He's saying that Elijah's prayer that was effectual, you also can pray that for other things in your life. He's a man of like passions. But there's one more thing too. We do need power, and that is true. We need power. Even to the two witnesses, it says, I will, give, I will give power to my two witnesses. Guys, we need power. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need power. Turn to your other neighbor and say, this church needs power. Because the opposition we face is great. But I want to show you something, and we're going to end with this before we pray. You see, in the time of, let's go back to that um, uh, uh, Revelation 11 verse uh, 4. Very quickly. Oh, sorry, something is here. It's telling me shut down, yes or no, so I can't really see it. Um, but I'll just read what it says. Okay, is it? The, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. The two olive what? Trees and the two lampstands. The two olive what? 
trees. Let's talk about the olive tree. Where else have we seen? Oh, God. Oh, I feel the anointing of God in this place. Where else have we seen that? We've seen it in another prophetic book, these two olive trees. You know where it was? It was in a book called Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 4, what had happened is that the Israelites who had gone into exile in Babylon, and eventually Babylon was conquered by the Persians, at some point a Persian king called Cyrus said they can go back to their land, some of them. And some of them returned. It was a wasteland. It was a terrible land. But they said, look, we've not been able to worship God in the land he gave to us and also in the temple, so we must rebuild the temple that was destroyed. But as they tried to rebuild the temple, they faced all manner of opposition, economic position, people around, the foreign nations, spiritual, everything. Have you ever felt like you are trying to achieve something and you felt opposed on every side? Where you say, not today, Satan, not today. Everywhere, nothing is working. And so some of you maybe are in that place now and you, the last thing you feel like is powerful. You feel powerless. Economically, you feel powerless. Mentally, you feel powerless. Spiritually, you feel powerless. In Socially, you feel powerless. And that's how they felt. But then Zechariah saw a vision. Because Zerubbabel was the governor that was trying to build it. Zechariah saw a vision. And this was the vision he saw in Zechariah 4, verse 2 to 3. In Zechariah 4, verse 2 to 3, he said, he asked me, what do you see? I asked, okay, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Verse 3. Two olive trees are by it. One at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. See what, look at what he saw. He saw this picture. Two olive trees supplying them. If you understand what this means, you will see that there is no power that can stand against you guys. So let me help you illustrate. Why is this so important? Let me take you back to uni like this, my brother. We are going you know, I didn't like this, I enjoyed you like all of that, you know, but we used to go through a certain kind of opposition. It was called fuel scarcity for those of us who had cars. You know, before when there was no fuel scarcity, we just used to enjoy the car, you know, sometimes you just be driving past, you know, the gate and you just see some damsels in distress and you just, you just want to help, you just want to help. And of course, we saw brothers in distress, but brothers can walk now, what's the problem? What's wrong, what's wrong with you? So he said, hey, do you, do you want to get to Senate? Are you going to? All right, come in, you know. And when he's at that point, of course, we didn't used to hear the noise outside because the oil was pumping, the AC was pumping. You put your CD. Yes, it was CD at that time. You know, you, 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 you yeah, yeah, you're just bumping and bumping until fuel scarcity came. When fuel scarcity came, the first thing that went is ACO. All of a sudden, you hear everything that's going on on the outside. The second thing is there's no free ride. I'm not just gallivanting anywhere. Then if you're a planner like myself, you have to start planning. By the time you are able to queue and you buy fuel, you buy in enough tanks and enough uh, kegs and you put the kegs there. So what usually would happen is, first of all, the people who didn't plan well, after they have wound down and they've done everything, they didn't have any kegs, so they run out. They put their cars down. They start using their legacy bands and Lexus, right? Then the second one is people like me. We still continue. Like these you people, you see? That's why you're like the five foolish versions. Everything has run out. But we, we have keg. You put it, you put it. Maybe you have four kegs. You are putting it. Ah, it's like one week, ah, two weeks. Ah, everything. Eventually, even the keg runs out. But I always remember that in every fuel scarcity time, there was a friend of mine called Tolu Dino. Tolu, I hope you are watching. Tolu was not affected by this thing. Huh? 
You will just see Tolu doing field scarcity. One, first week, he's just going in. He can't hear you. AC is going on. Ah, now, wow. Second week, AC is going on. Bedou is blasting. Third week, he's still picking up babes around there. Fourth week, fifth week. Tolu, what is going on? How, why have you found the power to face this opposition and this scarcity? And what many people did not understand was this. Tolu never used one keg. He didn't need a keg. You know why? Tolu's father had a mobile filling station. And in that mobile filling station, they did not store the, the petrol in kegs. They didn't store it in one over, overhead tank. You know what? There was an underground tank, and there was petrol full there. So there for, for whatever scarcity came, Tolu was always in supply. Maybe these people aren't getting it. I'm coming here. Listen. The olive trees, you know what is going on? It's saying that for this land to continue to burn, it is not a keg of olive oil that is needed. It is connected to two olive trees that will continue to supply oil. And so what Zechariah was saying to them is this, Zerubbabel, you may face opposition. It may be like a mountain, but this thing will not be achieved by your own might. It shall not be achieved by your own power, but it shall be achieved by the Spirit of God. I want to talk to you, Sycamore Church. Listen to me. Whatever God has before you. There is no power that shall stand against you because the spirit of God that is in this house is going to refresh you and is going to prepare you for the next stage that you are going to. If you believe me, say amen. amen. Have you not wondered that Jesus' disciples said they wanted to go out and preach? Jesus said it's not yet time to go. I know you have the message but there is something you cannot do before you become my witnesses. He said tarry in Jerusalem. Why? You need power. Don't you never say we need power. But he has supplied us with power. You know why? He said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit what, comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and also in the ends of the earth, in Ibadan as well. Sikama, the Spirit of God is here. God is going to move this church to another level. I hope you are hearing me. God is going to move this church to another level because he's outpouring his spirit. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray for people who need another touch of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about if you're a Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit. But we know what it is to be in a dry condition. You know what it is that you, to be in a desert condition. Many of us are in desert conditions where we know you knew there was a fire that you had. Whether it was on campus before and the circumstances of life have started to make you cynical. And now you are not in touch with the spirit again. If you are that person, please don't look to your right, don't look to your left. This is not about that. Please come forward now. Because the anointing and the grace of God is in this house. If you know you need that fire in your bones again. If you know that your desert needs, it needs an oasis to spring up again. For this new phase that God is going to move in this church. Yes, he's going to do it collectively, but it comes with the individuals. Come forward. But there are some of us, it is not just, we're not in a desert condition, we're just in an okay condition. We're in a fertile condition. But there, is, there are levels to this. Are you following me? There are what? levels to this. You are about to confront the evil in a city. This is evil that has been here for centuries. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot just do this with your normal prayer life here and there. Fine. Thank God that that's helping you for yourself. But to confront the evil that is going on, to bring in the days of Elijah when there are the days of Ahab, you need power. So if you are in a place where you say, I have a fertile field, but I need something more, come forward. Please put up Isaiah 32 verse 12 for me. I want to see this 
word is for you as a church. And we are going to use this word to pray. You will first pray before I pronounce this on you. For the evil that goes on in a city, sorry, can I just see this a little bit? For the evil that goes on in a city, here's what, is, here's what you must do. From verse 12 to verse 14. Here's what you must do. He says, people shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. This is talking about the lament that the people of God do because they are in anguish of the city. Please never ignore the evil in your city and don't be depressed by the evil in your city. You must do something about it. So the first thing is you lament. And now says, on the land of my people will come upon up thorns and briars. Yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city. A better rendering of it is not joyous city, but a city of revelry. Revelry where people try to make merriment, but not out of the, it's not merriment without the boundaries of God. Verse 14, and he says, the reason why you must lament is this, because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and the towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Guys, this is the terrible condition, and when God's judgment is, is right, it can come at any point. But there is something, there is an answer to the darkness. That answer to the darkness before God does it in the city is going to do it in your life. Do you know what he's going to do? Verse 15. Give me verse 15. Let's say it together. Until what? Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Father, pour out your Spirit upon these people in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, oh God, that the heaven's streams, oh God, shall rest upon them. Pour forth your Spirit, oh God, upon them. Bring a restoration into their lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice what happens. He says, for those of you who are in a wilderness condition, and the wilderness, what shall happen? It will become a fruitful field. There is a rain that comes from heaven. Elijah shut out the rain, physical rain. But now I pray by the anointing of the Lord that the heavens are open for you. There is a rain that brings about the spiritual fruitfulness of Christ. And so for some of you, you are being restored, fine. But there are those of you that God is saying, where you have been is good. You are already a fertile field, but there is their levels to this. And the fruitful field is counted as a? I pray that there will be greenery in this place. Pasture lands or forest of the habitation of the Lord. He says that you will be a, like a, you see, there's a difference between watering something and being watered by God. There's a difference between somebody taking water and watering plants and then being planted by the rivers of God. He says that you will be like the reef, like the trees, the cedars of Lebanon planted by the rivers of water when you dwell in the house of the Lord. My God, according, O oh God, to the calling and the, the grace that is in this house upon Pastor Tolu and the grace that you have put before me. Lord, I pray that these people shall be a tree planted in the house of the Lord. Father, I pray that there will be a fruitfulness in this house that will move them to the next level, that will bring terror in the house of the enemy in this city in the name of Jesus Christ. Do a new thing, O oh God, in their lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, fill them, O oh God, with your spirit. For those who are here and those who are watching online, in the name of Jesus, may the grace of God not just fall upon you, may it rest upon you in the name of Jesus. For these are the days of Ahab, yes, but right now the days of Elijah are emerging. In the name of Jesus, and he is using this church, you shall be his witnesses. You shall be his witnesses. You shall be his prophetic voice in the name of Jesus Christ. Now I have one more word. 
It is for this house, yes, generally. But it's for Pastor Tolu, Pastor Debola specifically. So that they will hear it. I want you to, whenever you, whenever you are going down, whenever things don't seem like they are going the right way, remember this word. And for some of you who are joined to this commission, remember this word and sometimes encourage them. You see, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. Eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. The number of new beginnings. Seven is the number of completion, but eight starts a new thing. This church is eight. But if you notice in the Bible, whatever new God does, it is always in a reference to the old. And I saw a new heaven and the new earth, for the old had passed away. It wasn't just I saw something new. I saw a new heaven and new earth. Why? There was an old heaven and an old earth. Are we understanding? There was an old, the first man is of the earth earthy. But the second man is the Lord from heaven. It wasn't that the first man gave way to an angelic spirit. The first man gave way to what? The new man. Are you, are you following me? The scripture that started this church is in Luke chapter 19. And I really believe this. That as God is putting you into something new, he's coming back full circle in Luke chapter 19. So open Luke chapter 19 verse 3 to 5 for me. There was a man called Zacchaeus who had heard about Jesus. But something happened in his spirit. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were the most vile people. Not often you would hear this phrase. Sinners and tax collectors. They couldn't put tax collectors with sinners. They were worse sinners than sinners. They were the most hated people in that society. But he had heard about Jesus and something stirred in his heart. But you see, you can hear about Jesus but still not really fully understand who Jesus is. He hadn't seen Jesus. So he needed to see Jesus. But he could not because of the crowd. The crowd of so many opinions about Jesus. He needed to see Jesus for himself. But he himself could not. Why? There was a condition physically that was stopping him from seeing Jesus. And let me tell you, there are conditions spiritually that stop people from seeing Jesus properly in your city. Amen? So what did he do? God supplied grace. There is a grace that can lift you up in such a way that enables you to see God more accurately. What did he look for? He found a sycamore tree. He ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. The sycamore tree here is not the grace to save, but it is the grace that precedes the grace to save. And that is exactly the grace that is in this house. It's a grace that is going to precede the grace to save, the grace to transform. Because it's not sycamore that saves people. It's not sycamore that transforms people. But sycamore can enable you to see the one who is able to transform. For he was going to pass that way. And verse 5. When Zacchaeus now got to the tree where he could see, and sycamore, that is the point. In this place, people are going to see Jesus like they've never seen before. Listen, the crowd and the thing that is, that is keeping people away from Jesus, by the time people enter into that door, in fact, by the time people click on your website, on your live stream, there is a way that the darkness will recede. There is a way that the confusion will be taken away. All of a sudden, they will see Jesus. When they step into this place, they will meet with nobody else but Jesus. God is using and elevating you as a gracious church. Now notice verse 5. This is the full grace. And when Jesus came to, that, to the place, he looked up. 
Oh, may the eyes of Jesus rest upon this church. He looked up and he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. Notice, it wasn't that Zacchaeus was going to the house of Jesus. Jesus was coming to his house. Listen, the reason why you will give people Jesus to come and stay in their house, Pastor Leon, this word is for you and for all the others, is because Jesus is already residing in your own house. You cannot give what you don't have. So as you stay in this church, I want to challenge you to be committed here. Some of you are already having ideas of escaping. God has commissioned this church for something. I want you to say that you are going to be part of something bigger. There is something bigger than just having your bank accounts full. You can be part of the mission of God. This is a grace-enabling church, a grace, a church that God has been giving grace that precedes the grace that saves and transforms. Be it unto you according to the word of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. The Lord bless you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord give you peace. May you be filled with his spirit. Listen guys, Jesus is coming. It is the one promise of the church. But before Jesus comes, before the days of Jesus comes, the days of Elijah are coming. These are the days of Elijah. These are the days of Elijah.
amen and amen come on let's give jesus praise this morning come on these are the days of elijah amen wow 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 i told them in first service um you know there are messages that i sit down i listen to and you know you really listen to a lot sometimes you feel like you've heard a sermon sometimes you feel like a sermon happened to you and today i just feel like something happened to me and then i came in here again second service and i feel like yeah 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 this is this is something i personally i don't know about you but i'm going back over this again and again there's a lot to re-listen you know let's let's take heed to god's word you know it's one thing for god to be faithful to give us a word it's another thing for us to take heed to it let's hold it strong let's listen and re-listen let it happen to us to its full intensity let's engage it in our life groups let's think practically about this but a positioning has happened there's something that has been sparked in us and god is intentional about this amen thank you so much for joining us here at sycamore church if you prayed that prayer at the end we're so excited about your decision for jesus and we would love to help you get established in your relationship with him so please let us know about your decision at www.sycamore.church forward slash jesus there you'll also find all kinds of resources to help you build your relationship with jesus if you enjoyed this message we would love for you to subscribe wherever you're listening or visit www.sycamore.church forward slash resources again thanks for joining us we'll see you next time <laughs>